0: Have you read? Oh, oh! I got so many books. How are you doing on your reading plan? <sighs> yes, that's Here's it. Other, this camera? Uh, what is what camera is that one?
1: That's my phone camera.
0: That's interesting. They they it looks like your iPhone and your computer got the same kind of camera. They handle the light really well. But your phone camera or the computer camera, whichever one you like. Only reason the phone camera looks like it's a little higher than your computer camera. If yeah. you want to give, if you want to give your computer camera some sexy, all you gotta do is put up, prop it up just a little bit, so that you're looking at it at eye level and not down at it, and it'll make it look like it'll give you a little. The composition will make it look better. How about that? But. You know, if you're going to be doing the university stuff, we're going to have to get you a nice camera.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I was hoping.
0: uh,
1: That's what I was hoping that that this Ozbot would be able to do, and maybe if I.
0: It's just a lighting thing at that point. Yeah. All right, so I got a couple books here. Super abundance. This book is, I've only read part of it because some of it is inside of George Gilderd's life after capitalism. Whoa. Oh, okay. Whoa. Like absolutely amazing. So it is the basic premise is, it's fighting against the idea that more people are problem planet earth, right? Everybody keeps saying that, Hey, the more people we have, the more they're going to take the resources, but that's not true. But since that what tends to happen is that because of the way that God has made human beings in their minds, more people create even greater, more abundant resources than we could have had if they didn't exist. So if anything's a threat, it's the idea that we have less people <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because you don't get this abundant of resources without people. Right. So anyway, um, Gail Pooley, we had him on the show and I start reading this book when life, after, anything George Gilder does about to come out, I grab it. So that's one book I highly recommend, uh, Super Abundance. The other one, I'm sure you've read this book, The Desire of the Nations by Oliver O'Donovan.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I have read it, but it's been a long time, I think.
0: Yeah. Peter Lightheart told me to get this one. It's called Rediscovering okay. the Roots of Political Theology.
1: Yes. Okay. No, I read it. I read it a long time ago.
0: I think it was written '96. Okay. Uh, and re-release in. Well, let me find it. '99. So. Okay. Um, Cambridge University Press in 1996 first published, and first paperback edition was 1999. So. It's really good. It's still working through kind of some of the concepts and ideas, but that's not what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> oh, I made a boo I've boo.
1: Been, I've been prepping for my to teach apologetics. So I've been reading a bunch of apologetics books. Actually, did, here, I'll show you.
0: Yeah. How are, um, yeah. What books are you reading? Let me write these down so I can make my wife show oh,
1: me. Well, here, let me. So this is my,
0: oh, okay.
1: That's my, that's my, ap- my apologetics s- stack. Let's see. Can I get it all in one?
0: Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I'll just go like this.
0: Why do you, why, why?
1: Well, cause all the, cause these are books. I've read them all already, but so I'm going to be, pulling for different lectures from different books and so i pulled all i pull all my books out that i'm going to be working with through the year and just have them there and
0: are you going to teach a course on the university uh, about apologetics i'm just wondering yeah. getting people's appetite ready. I... okay okay so can i just look okay you already got your course i'm
1: laying it out right now yeah
0: well, let's just work so, on that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking
1: November, November would that be? Eight 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 uh, lectures in November. Could we do that? What would they be? On apologetics. You know, on on what the so on apologetic um, what what I, I call them apologetic habits of thought, developing apologetic habits of thought. So learning how to ask the right questions um, in an ap- And so, I, and my apologetic is much more evangelistic than most apologetics you run into. So it's not learning how to debate like a professional. Um, it's learning how to, how apologetics affect just your day in day out relationships, um, including just the ones in your family. How do you, um, the just, it's a, so it's a lot of, learning how to converse comfortably about Jesus and how, how to bring Jesus into your just regular way of thinking and talking. So I call them the eight apologetic habits of thought. Um, so the, that's my, that's what the class would be on developing apologetic habits of thought. And cause in my mind, apologetics is not a debate. It, it's sometimes, I mean, there is sometimes there's debate, but that's not what, most normal folks don't end up in debates on classroom, you know, in, in a uh, university setting or something. So street um, debates, (laughs) yeah, most people aren't doing, you know, um, you know, going to end up on YouTube on a, because they got into a debate with a Muslim on the street corner, you know, everybody can't be Jeff Durbin. Right. Exactly. For most of us, apologetics has to do with, um, how do we interact with our neighbors? How do we, um, uh, h- how are we ready to share the hope that's within us? Um, and a big part of that is remembering that the heart of the problem is always, um, is, is gratefulness and idolatry, uh, ungratefulness and idolatry. This is what, that's what Paul identifies as the heart. And so developing an apologetic that is, um, Prepped to explain why you're thankful, um, right? Plep, prepped to explain why you're hopeful and prepped to explain um, why it is that you aren't interested in uh, idols, right? So I, think, um, I don't know if I've told this story before or not, but I went to sat down on a plane, um, was traveling and sat down next to a guy um, who's a, a gypsy, you know, racial racially he's a gypsy um ethnically ethnic ethnically he was a gypsy and um he uh went to buy a a gin and tonic and they didn't take cash and I don't know if you know much about gypsies but he didn't have a he doesn't have a credit card he doesn't have a bank account anything and so I they only took cards and I said I'll, I'll get it and so I bought him his gin and tonic and Um, And he said, thanks. And I asked him what he did. And he said, he's a salesman. And uh, he asked what I did. And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, I'm addicted to pain medication. (laughs) Like the first thing out of his mouth is I'm addicted to pain pills. And I, I said, "Uh, what, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And he said, I'm addicted to pain pills. I can't, I don't know what to do. Um, And so I, we he explained to me how he had gotten addicted to pain pills. So I said, I said you're gonna have to back up and tell me more. Be, um, did you have an injury or something? And he said, No, I was going in for a sale once, and my cousin said, Hey, take this. You'll be so relaxed that you'll be able to sell anything. And he gave him a uh, hydrocodone or something like that. And he he made the sale, and so he started taking a pain pill before each sale, and then he. Eventually, started taking them when he wasn't trying to sell things to. And then he went to jail and, and, uh, for trying to buy pain pills off of an undercover cop. And then he, uh, and he had, and now he had just gotten out of jail, but he had already gotten back into pain pills, you know, w- within a day of getting out. He, he was like, I was clean. I was sober. I was going to, I was going to kick it. And by the end of the day, I was already taking them again. And, uh, and, and he said, So I, I He said, I don't know how to get rid of an addiction. I said, the problem is it's not an addiction. It's an idolatry. You're telling the story as if that pain pill got you the sale. Jesus got you the sale. You should say thank you to Jesus, not to that hydrocodone. Um, Every one of those, every time you made a sale, you say thank you to Jesus because Jesus is your provider, right? Whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is the one that provided for you. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust and, um, and so we i he so this i walked him through repentance on the plane and connected and i just happened to have met somebody earlier that week that had an outreach to gypsies in the city where he was from and so i was able to just say hey and here's a card this guy just gave to me they help gypsies in your town in texas um, they have their their church does uh, ha, has a ministry that helps gypsies um, that are trying to get out of the, the lifestyle. There's a, there's a there's sort of a crime ridden lifestyle um, that a lot of gypsies are involved in. And um, and there's and I so it was like, you know, God had given me the resource that he needed um, and then God sat him next to me. And so all, all you have to do is be prepped and ready to learn how to ask the questions that get to the idol and then say that idol doesn't actually do what he, it promises, but Jesus does what he promises. And that, and so learning those apologetic habits of thought um, I think are, it's more helpful. I mean, I studied presuppositionalism and studied all of that and, and there's a use for that, but um, it is, it's rarely practical. It rarely mm. gets to the heart of it, and so I want to. Pra- I so I have been hunting for a practical to build a more a practical understanding of apologetics. Um, as I've taught, I've taught it three different times in high schools for a year at a time, uh, four four times, four times in high schools for a year at a time, um, and so the it's you know that we have a better story we have uh a a better worship a better god to worship um we have and it's not a it's it's not really a a rational issue it's an idolatry issue that we're dealing with um with folks so anyway i want to i'm excited to teach apologetics teach those apologetics apologetic habits of thought and
0: yeah, we need to go ahead and set that course up. I'd like to take that because I got a ton of questions that around that. I'm going to try and, okay, did I get it right that we're at mutability?
1: We're at mutability, yep.
0: Okay. So, man, the image of evil, then we got stuck. Why, why is it? Why is it <laughs> we went through the image of evil, and it was like, it's time to talk about paganism. <laughs> <Let me turn laughs> paganism. I just noticed like that, maybe it was just perfectly timed because of... Uh, you you were thinking ahead, but it's like, did we just do this one and, and something happened in the middle of the week and we're like, we need to talk about paganism or was it really following the idea of the image of evil?
1: I, I mean, I think what it is is that there uh, there are assumptions that make it hard for us to recognize evil. And mm. um, so when when we have those pagan assumptions, it just makes it, more difficult to recognize the evil what, when it's in front of us
0: so what assumptions what assumptions are do we have about evil that make it hard for us to recognize evil
1: um well i think the one of the biggest one is that it's an even playing field um hmm. right yeah that we think it's an even playing field and so there's this power out there and somebody's gonna have it and so it's a fight for do the good guys have the power do the bad guys have the power and that's the, the and that's our description of of even um you know even sometimes when you when you say when people say hey it's been a christian nation all along right mm-hmm. we america is a christian nation what they mean is the christians have been the ones that get to tell people what to do and what not to do right that that it's a that history is a power struggle Um, now that is a pagan assumption. I mean, that's, um, that's the, the pagan, that's the star Wars. This is why the, the star Wars episode one, two, three didn't work (laughs) compared Mm. to episode four, five, six, right? Four, five, six. It's more of a, a Western setting where, um, the, the, you, you've got this, it's like a western in space. And um the western is a very is a very morally driven
0: mm-hmm. um, virtuous character. Virtuous
1: idea. character. You know, the, if you have virtuous character, even if you lose, you'll win. Right. right. So so you can sacrifice you can sell you can sacrifice yourself um to keep your virtue and you and the world actually is better off because of it. Whereas if you're if it's a power struggle Self, the self-sacrifice of the virtuous actually is a, a bad idea because then that leaves the power in the hands of the wicked, right? So, it, it, um, so um, that's a big. So, because of that, we excuse all sorts of um, vice on our team. Or mm. vi- there's vice that becomes invisible to us because it's on our team, right? It Because invo- th- if that's the case, then the world is um, run on rivalry the, um, and you get tribalism because of the rivalry. And so then if they're in your tribe, then we excuse their vice. Um, whereas if they're not in your tribe, then we use their vice against them, right? So, um, it, it, and eventually this all breaks down even within the tribe because a tribe can't exist that way. But um, it's so I think that we were talking about that and realized that we needed to spend some time talking about some of the assumptions of paganism.
0: How does that connect to paganism?
1: Uh, well, because paganism is you've got two forms of paganism, right? You had tribal paganism. And you have imperial paganism, which is where you build an empire. Mm. Um, you know, so imp- the the oldest imperial paganism that we have access to, um, you know, post flood imperial paganism is is really Egypt, because, um, cause, you know, ch- uh, yeah. That that we have access to, we're learning more and more about China and some things. But Egypt's really the oldest imperial paganism that we have access to. Um, but then there's and then there's tribal paganism.s The tribal paganism.s are organized um, uh, around ethnicity, usually of some sort, right? Mm. Uh, that uh, and uh, imperial paganism.s are organized around um, the uh, the power. The power structure um you know the the uh organized around kind of the army the power structure right the
0: can so uh, can can we can we reframe these around the concepts of globalistic paganism and national paganism do, do those follow in the same line of thinking
1: well depending on the so some nationalistic paganisms are imperial so
0: Oh okay. Um, I see. Yeah. You know, so see. It, yeah, yeah. It really
1: it it really has to do with so there um so um it, it has to do with kind of a loyalty where you're um where you're where loyalties how loyalties are gathered, right? So um tribal paganisms are tend to be run on kind of a loyalty shame um loyalty and shame uh that if you're you're in then you're covered if you're out then that's then either you you have brought shame on them and so you're out or they're putting you out in order to bring you shame they're uncovering you they're um there's a really great kind of and and that in and of itself um can be christian or not christian but when it's based around um of the the family hearth you know the 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 worship the idol is the is the hearth um is the family unit in uh tribal paganism you have uh this shame mentality empires are based around um death right so it's a uh, life and death so if you're in the empire then your your life is protected um And death is the way that you, you know, kind of mark the edges of the, uh, I mean, there you would not get crucifixion invented in tribal paganism. Crucifixion was a public display of the power of over life and death that the government has, right? So um, crucifixion was invented. Oh, it was by the Amalekites? I can't remember. It was by, um, it was but no, not the Amalekites because it was invented. Um, it was invented post Babylon, um, but pre Rome. So the Romans, uh, the Roman Empire, really took over a globe that what was already existed as a. an international empire and they expanded it one of the things they inherited was crucifixion and crucifixion was a way of putting on display your power over death and that's how empires control people we have power over death we can kill you Uh, we have lots of ways to kill you we can kill you out in the open um tribes uh control people through shame right we can put you out we can we can make you you ashamed well
0: they can yeah by identity then
1: yeah identity right yeah so um you get to you you get to have so in that sense empires are um are laid over the top of a, a bunch of different identities and um a whereas a tribe is kind of a central identity so you can be from you can be from the a you can be a Gaul and a Roman at the same time right mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. can be a Jew a Jew and a Roman like Paul was right he had mm-hmm. two two identities and they um you don't really have that the in uh tribal paganism the priest it is also the chief right the the chieftain is in charge of the religion and the um you know, and, and the family and the government right it's um the the he's a you know he's the 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 when well the the founding chief is called a patriarch right the um so the patriarch is a tribal um a tribal way of dividing up the world it, uh, so, so um you don't have so be but because but what they what they hold in common uh, is that they both the world is a power struggle that exists on rivalry, um, and uh, the you if you're in, then you get human rights. If you're out, you don't have the rights of a human, right? So your the humanity, uh, your humanity is on, um, is not give is given by um the group the group passes out humanity to those that are inside and so you could have barbarians that didn't you didn't have to treat them like humans if you captured them um you, if you're in an empire if you have slaves you don't have to treat them like humans because you're in an, they're not citizens right citizenship and human rights are wrapped up with one another um in the tribe being in the in the tribe um is you're human and outside the tribe you're not human so um you know how how this would would work is you know if if you if you captured somebody from uh you know a different tribe um you you, you could keep them alive keep them as a slave do, there's different things you could do with them um, but you didn't have to you could just kill them there wasn't any you didn't have to they didn't have to go through trial. You know, they were guilty of not being a part of your tribe. Right. So therefore they, if they had something, it was because they took it and it wasn't available to you now. So, um, it's a fundamental rivalry. Um, so, you know, socialism is an attempt to get back to that fundamental rivalry. Um, we, it's a fancy word for pagan cosmology. Mm. Um, you know that, that there's a limited amount. Um, it's a rivalry for resources. It's a uh, the the uh, world is a power struggle. Chaos is is always there, and somebody powerful enough has to hold the chaos back. And um, chaos will just return if you if you aren't gathering up power purposefully to hold it back. You know all those all those things are um, are pagan ways of thinking, not Christian ways of thinking, and. Um, we're surrounded by them all the time, so our image of evil is often blurred because we share the assumptions with uh, uh, we share those pagan assumptions, and so we don't recognize certain evils because of it.
0: So, I'm gonna, I wasn't planning on going here, but since you're here, I sent you a tweet yesterday, um, Yo, and huh. You gonna pull it up? Him. I'm gonna pull I'm going, it up. Okay, so this is James Kirkpatrick. Um, he's responding to "In um, Wokeness," and there's a picture there of a girl who's transgendering, who's going through transgender okay. surgery. Right, that's the the foundation for this. And I think "In Wokeness" says future historians will study this in horror and wonder how society ever embraced it. And it's it's horrible. It's a beautiful young lady. And she, on one side, has her long hair, looks like a young woman, awesome. And on the other side, you see that she's chopped off her breast, and has got short hair and she's, you know, proud of this new transition she's going through. Well, um, James Kirkpatrick retweets this and he says, future historians will study this horror, but absent radical change... What they will be horrified by is social media accounts opposed to trans and how they were allowed to speak. And conservatives will say they were pro-trans all along. When power dictate morality. Yikes! Right? Well, yeah. It keeps going. So now Stephen Wolf um, retweets James Kirkpatrick. And says, conservatives need to stop thinking that the world will spontaneously wake up someday and see the horror. You have to acquire and use power against it. You have to will its destruction. And that's everything that we've been talking about, though. It's like there's only this, there's this power struggle that's there. And whoever gets the power gets to dictate Reality.
1: Yeah, right. This is why people think that, um, that a, uh, oh man, theocracy. This is why people think theocracy is a bad word. Mm. Because they think in pagan terms. They think the person at the top is the one who gets to tell people to do the things they don't want to do, right? That's what, that's, um, how they view power that's 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 how they view authority um the person at the top gets to tell the people below them what they t- that they have to do what they don't want to do
0: well isn't it bigger than that though the person at the top gets to control reality
1: yes well that's the Ma- that's the machiavellian view is that if you get enough power at the top, you actually define reality for everyone else. You get to control it. You you have power over reality. Um, and the um, and that's what they're that's what so they agree that um morality is a power game.
0: Right? Mm.
1: They they agree on that. That that's what is so crazy, is that's actually not the Christian take right so um and, and uh, on the one hand you know do i think we I, I like we we should be making it illegal for doctors to do what they're doing
0: but isn't right? it already it's, illegal i mean this is where well you
1: know... depending on i i don't depending on the state i don't know it is in western civilization yes the hippocratic it's but it was and it was I mean, the hippocratic oath i mean bro <laughs> will, i mean we'll do no harm yeah um, you know so this is uh you know, if if somebody came in and they said, I just I want you to cut cut my arm off. It's healthy, it's works, it's fine, but I would I feel like I shouldn't have an arm. And um the doctor said, Okay, he should be removed forever from a doctor <laughs> being a doctor, right? Yeah. It's you that's not how you treat if, if, if somebody, you know, if somebody says, well, my, I feel like my arm has, is, is going to attack me. um, You think, well, that's a, you, there's something, something's broken, right? You don't, um, you feel alienated from your own arm. That's a problem, but it's not, you don't remove the arm and cement the alienation forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, But that's what we're doing to folks. Um, when you know a girl says i don't feel comfortable in my body i'm 17 years old i'm 18 years old i don't feel comfortable in my body well have you tried i can change your body what would you like it right that's the wrong response <laughs> um right <laughs> yes it, it it is actually so this is one of the um this is a really interesting book art affluence and alienation um and it it just goes through the um, modern art, the, all of the ways that modern art is expressing alienation from reality. Um, and it's it's a he's not he's not really saying that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. Or he's he's just observing writing. It. He's just observing it um, <clears throat> as someone who is as someone who loves art and is trying to say. Hey, here's a really important theme in modern art: is alienation, and the way that mm. our that affluence actually makes the alienation worse. The richer a um a, a, the the richer a society gets, the more alienated it gets. Now he's he's talking all post Christian, right? The alienation is, um, and the affluence he doesn't he's not connecting it per se to the fact that they've all that, that they're trying to take Jesus out um, or that Jesus has been removed from the equation. And so there's the alienation from reality is that there's no high priest anymore <laughs> connecting you, you know, returning you to reality um, because that's one of the things that Jesus does right in, in our baptism, in our discipleship. And we are returned to reality.
0: Unless you're a dispensationalist.
1: That's true. Uh, Sorry, I I I love that the song "I'll Fly Away" is really catchy, and there's a certain truth to it that is temporary, because there is life after death, right? That we do go to heaven when we die to be with the Lord, but then there's life after life after death in the resurrection, and that's not something that Mm -hmm. "I'll Fly Away" gets to that's cuz our real hope is not go to heaven when we die it's be raised from the dead and all things be put right in the world um and then that hope by faith we always are living out our hope and this is the problem with dispensationalism can i just say this i can just say this right cuz love my dispensational brothers the hope if the hope is escape then by faith you will always live out escape mm if the hope is retreat, then you will always live out retreat by faith. But if the hope is resurrection and the, and restoration and things being put right, then by faith, you will be putting, you will live out. Let's put things right. You'll live out restoration. You will you'll, you'll be looking for ways to bring restoration and, uh, and the, uh, the hope in dispensationalism is alienation from reality.
0: <laughs> and mm. we've by until, faith until reality hits them in the face, and then they have to deal with it. And then they like, We're gonna need some Jesus for this. Anyway, uh I'm one I wanna I didn't want to bring up that problem that I just read without actually I think observing it and seeing the reality that we're in, which is we all share the same cosmology. We need to run to the place where power is, take that power and stop people from being unrighteous. Right. Like that's right. And and that sounds like that's, that's how even our heroes work. That's how everything is built around that. And so, and, and so if you're saying, well, that's not actually how the world is made. The question always comes up, which is then how do you stop the unrighteous? If you're ever, going to win as a post-millennial you have to get into a position of power so then what do you plan to do when you get there right and so you can't you can't say power is bad and yet as a post-millennial you're sitting here looking to get all the power and that you actually assume that all the power is coming to you you know It's,
1: it's not it's not that power power or authority is bad though i think that it's the it is the route to power and authority is different for Christians, right? In a Christian worldview, the route to power and authority is different. Right. So, um, it's not a, <clears throat> you don't become chief by cutting the head off the previous chief anymore. Right. So, um, because, you know, we're told you know, what's, what's the way up down down. Right. Right. So the way up is always, it begins with repentance. It begins with taking on our God-given role as the priest of our city, right? The church the church is a kingdom of priests. And um, we, we say, well, I would like the king role, but I don't want the priest role, right? But it's a kingdom of priests, which means that the first thing that we do is we take our city and to the to the lord in prayer and ask god to forgive it mm. right we um and the um often you know when the what because because if you don't look around and say dang we're
0: under a curse right hmm that's a problem we're under, yeah we're under god's judgment clear as day we're under god's judgment yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. people are i mean and there ain't enough power to try and get out from underneath god's judgment
1: right right? if we think that this is an issue of who's in charge then we're we're in trouble right because the um because god god is the one who gave us these particular rulers right and we need god to give us new rulers or give our current rulers some nightmares right because sometimes that's what he does right he's gave we're the we sinned mm. we would, wouldn't we wouldn't take Joseph as the new patriarch. and so we threw him down a well and then we sold him into slavery. And God punished us by taking away the food, forcing us to go down um, and uh, to take on um to to become uh, Egyptians, right? We had to go down and be under the Egyptian rule and protection because we had um we refused god's rule and protection when we refused joseph god said hey joseph is the next patriarch and we said no thanks well we were rejecting god's rule and protection so we ended up in egypt well while he while joseph was down in egypt um you had a bad king but god didn't remove him god gave him nightmares so he had to go to to Joseph for um, relief right S- similar with David how did David end up um, how did David end up in the throne room long enough to also end up the adopted heir of Saul nightmares right well day mares yes <laughs> Saul had day mares um, but the it's the same pattern right Um and it's the when the humble uh, when God's people humble themselves and Joseph was humbled and humbled and humbled three times mm. um he was he was humbled till he was underground multiple times hum, humbled into the into the metaphorical tomb uh multiple times and uh each time came out higher uh, you know he went lower came out higher went lower came out higher went lower came out higher, lower, came out higher. um if you look at the American church, is there anything that you could look at and say, well, we sure have decided to reject God's rule and reign. We've reject. we've decided to reject God's authority structure. I mean, I liked the movie Jesus revolution as a movie, but at the end, he just hands the kid a set of keys and says, Hey, go start your own church. It's not how churches are started. There's no, there's a, th- there's no uh, you you're not ordaining you're not sending you're not establishing the authority structure uh, within God's people like of course there's complete anarchy and chaos out in the world look at the church
0: so then what is fixing the problem look like in and with that kind of situation because i think people and then we've talked about a little bit about this before but it keeps coming up it keeps coming up and it's all connected to what people are looking for does this connect at all to mutability just wondering
1: i i think it does okay I
0: it, uh, i'll get yeah. i, I want to get i want to get to that maybe you take it this way but um how because i think part of what um part of what people are looking for is how do we how do we get out of this? How do we stop girls mutilating their bodies? We need we need we need a hero, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and and we keep looking for n- not necessarily one individual, although Trump seems really like they're pointing to him to be the guy. Um the way they keep arresting them and going after him is hard not to defend him. Um
1: Oh, I know. That's
0: that, you know, and that, that's I'm, I'm, scary. But you, you I, need I, something.
1: You do that's exactly what makes me go huh over and over is they keep what was that four times now they've thrown
0: And three indictments at them three or four indictments, indictments? how many Three or see? four
1: indictments yeah I don't know yeah it, they keep throwing indictments at him and I it's it's like they don't because they don't understand the way the world works because they're thinking in pagan terms, they're like, look, if we can just get this guy, if we can get this guy locked up. Right. <laughs> and and you're like, you you don't understand the way the world works? Every time you do this, um he he gains supporters. He's he's gaining influence. He's gaining and um there's no, I, and I have a hard time believing that they think that they're they're thinking in such 4D chess that like that's their plan. Uh, it, there's I just don't buy that at all. Um, I think they really think if we can just throw enough indictments at him that it'll show that he is not, you know, a good choice. <laughs> but it's it's backfiring over and over.
0: So, so get, so get out. You're dealing with the situation. You have a, a girl who is cutting off her breast, a boy who's cutting off his penis and you're seeing it happen a lot more in a rising culture. And you're like, you know, what? here's what we're going to do to reverse course. Yeah. And, and I think people are saying, man, like, we have to get involved in the politics. We got to go take our country back. We have to create laws. I think that they're seeing all the the practical applications to making this thing work. What's wrong? Why is that not? Yeah. Uh,
1: so if you are if you are a Christian and you're you're currently in politics, that's exactly what you should be doing, right? You should be trying to like the get um, laws on the books that that uh, make mutilation make mutilation by a doctor illegal, right? Because it should be you, actually. You don't even have to write write a law. You should be there proving that mutilation by a doctor is already illegal, right? And that it so it needs to so because it's not a it's most of the time there's not new laws necessary. Um, you've already got the laws on the books that you need. Um. So so if if you're in politics, that's what you should be doing using the system, um, as it is to to try and make. Uh make sheriffs and you know i basically the they'll get it the laws upheld right this is similar to what's going on at the border right you start by saying well are we are the laws being upheld and if they aren't work to get the laws upheld if they are um and they're bad laws then work to get the laws changed um, that's what politicians should be doing that's what uh lawyers should be doing you know that But most of us are not called to that fight. In the sense that we don't hold public office, we don't have esquire after our name, we don't have right. So, um, so then the so then focusing all of our attention on that fight keeps us from fighting in our jurisdictions, right? So we because we think the the problem has to be solved over there, right? And there's nothing I can do about it here. Well, we, as God's people, go before the judge of judges, the judge of doctors, the um, every Sunday, right? So, um, and so we should be there faithfully praying, um,
0: filing filing covenant lawsuits. Fi- filing them. covenant lawsuits yeah. there, yeah. yeah so, that's right. um,
1: and that and that's something that. Um, pastors uh rarely are rarely do or are taught anymore how to do um i mean my suggestion is that when we pray either in our prayers of the people um or in our prayers of confession just add a line and lord forgive our city for this sin or that sin this that you just you know find a sin that and just start there like um can
0: I? I, I guess uh, I know nobody wants to say this, so I'm going to say it. N- prayer doesn't feel like enough. Like p- people don't feel like prayer is is enough. I want to do something. I want to go do something to stop evil and. It's great that you're praying. That's awesome. But there's still a bunch of people jumping across the border. There's still a bunch of kids over there cutting off their stuff. And there's still a bunch of people having abortions. So that's great. I I I pray. I'm totally in. But right. come on. So
1: do you remember the rest of the development album? 95, 94, 95.
0: I was a Christian my whole life. I enlisted that trash. <laughs> they
1: have the song um, that. We well, can
0: talk whinings. Uh, <laughs> I know them. Them I know. <laughs> they,
1: they have a song. The line goes um, Your Baptist pastor's telling you to pray, to pray, to pray. But that's a good way to control you anyway. Right. But, and then it. it goes on and says what you actually need to do is go out and take some power and get it right they're they're communists (laughs) right so most christians think like communists so i think that's the first thing is that um we we don't we we don't live in a universe we don't live in a universe in which it's more effective to um run for office that um than it mm. is to address the king of kings mm. right That's 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 not the universe we live in right that's that's a that's a, a fantasy that um we've been taught by um h.g wells and uh you know angles and marks and um you know the charles darwin you know there's different different writers um that have taught us that fantasy world, but it's a fantasy world. So that's the, that's the first thing is um, I really think that the, the first jurisdiction that we need to go to is the worship on the Lord's day and say, um, Lord, do you see what's going on? Do you see the way that they, that they're attacking your image? Right. Um, we, cause God hasn't given us power to protect it we we that's what we want but he hasn't i mean we we just got i mean roe versus wade got overturned that's huge um the but if god hasn't given us the power to protect his image um because the people that he's told here's that your job is to protect his image are the ones that have turned on it um you know doctors there are three people that are allowed to quote unquote break the Sabbath or work on the Sabbath ministers of the gospel ministers of the sacraments uh, ministers of justice and ministers of health all right there there's three those are the three people that historically when you read on the Sabbath and blue laws and all of that they're, um, they're not it's not considered breaking the Sabbath when a doctor heals somebody um, and it's because Jesus says you know, specifically that. And so that's why we, that's why we have ministers of health, ministers of justice, why we have those titles even. Um, And they're, they're allowed to work on the Sabbath because it's a God given role um, that, and it's their job to, to protect and restore the image of God in the body of, uh, of people that they meet. Now they're the ones attacking it, right? You don't, um you don't go to a witch to get an abortion anymore you go to a doctor mm. you, uh, you you don't go um you you used to be, you know the you the the witch or the wizard or the um the medicine man quote unquote you know you um would you'd go there and they would bleed you to get rid of the the uh, bad thoughts the evil spirits the ones you know that, you, that we don't do that anymore. We go to our doctors, our doc, you know, we, you have doctors that have, that are acting more like witch doctors than.
0: That's just, a, that's what happens. We have a culture of doctors. paganism though. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
1: You're always going to return to this. It's always going to be returned to the same thing. Right. Cuttings for the dead cuttings, cuttings for the evil spirits. Um, bleat, you know, uh, and, and that's all, that's all that it. it is. I mean, it's fundamentally the same thing when you see somebody, um, remove their testicles thinking that it's going to somehow affect their identity. So So, the first, so I think the first that's the, that's, but that's just the first jurisdiction because then as, as a parent, you have another jurisdiction where you can be at work against these sorts of evils, right? You can raise kids that are not alienated from reality, right? You can raise Mm -hmm. kids that are grounded in Christ, you know, raise kids that that um, that that you know um, that love their love the body that God gave them and love the body that God gave other people. Right? Mm. I mean, I think I think this is why, like, it's so important. You, know, um, the things you know, things like dancing. Um, you know it's like learning learning how to properly dance is so yeah. important right because you have kids that have learned that their bodies are not um you know that their bodies are good and they have a good use and they're not um you know just a it's it's not just an expression of your sexual um being you know the, the um and your and your neighbor's your neighbor's body is not a a uh is desse you know unsexualized or you know not desexualized, whatever you would call it. It's not the only thing about a person is not their sexual desires. Mm. Um so the only way, the only time when people feel un- connected, not alienated is in an orgasm. That's that's what's going on right now. That we're reaping what we've sowed um in the 90s and and now we're um we've got a whole generation that that is you know is alienated um dislodged from reality and um th- their existential experience um is is that they're a ghost um th- that there's a, a fundamental disconnect um and you don't solve that problem by force but there's no coercive power that you can apply to that existential problem
0: Yeah, I but took, we can raise
1: ahead. kids right we can raise kids
0: yeah i took i took a line from you i think we were talking on the phone and you know we've been trying to really work through some of the, the christian nationalism stuff you know the, the two different parties there's there's all sorts of different groups inside of there. So it's hard to talk about Christian nationalism without hitting one of your friendlies, right? Like that's always the challenging part is that there's friendly guys that are in there that are part of the team that are taking the title. And then, so when you go to kind of hit a group that's in there um, that has a certain sort of thinking, you end up hitting people that are your friends too. So it's kind of like, it's not, it's it's just, it's a mixed bag. And so you got to be careful, but one of the things that we were talking about, you had said, it's really telling uh, because people think that they can just replace a system and get the fruit of repentance without repentance itself. Yeah. And that is exactly where we are, where we keep, and, and this is when you know you're dealing with idolatry, because when you have the curse of God on you, you try to do things like uh, Pharaoh did where it's well I'll just pour my clear water and I'll get my priest to try and replace this and 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 you keep on trying to work on a system where it's like well what we need is godly politicians in these positions and it's like well not if they haven't repented not if we have we won't get godly politicians if we haven't repented so yeah right. you can you can make all the laws you want and and we should be engaging in this type of work but not short of repentance and trusting in Christ. If you don't have those things established, you, don't get, you, you won't get anything changed. You won't, you, know, you won't have any sort of victory here. And, and it's coming more and more clear to me that I think we would like to do everything we can except real, true, godly repentance. And, I'm, and the thing that points it out to me the most has been the climate change movement. And when you start going through Hosea, matter of fact, you don't even have to go through Hosea, you can go through Leviticus, you can go through Exodus, yep. you can go through Numbers, you can go through Deuteronomy, um, and you see that obedience to God brings blessing to the land. It is like inescapable in Scripture that obedience to God brings fruitful wombs and fruitful soil and fruitful um, uh uh, uh, what do they call it? Livestock, right? Yeah, that that is fruitful, fruit everywhere, right? But when you disobey, it's and this is what I can't get people to understand. But when you disobey, it curses the land, it curses the fruit of the womb, it curses the livestock, it curses the water. But that's no different than what happened in the garden, and it's right. just a complete separation from garden. The beginning of the story and how it all started and what got us into a cursed land in the beginning <laughs> to where we're now why do we think that any every time there was idolatry in israel from the time that they left egypt to the time they walked into the promised land and before it was um always brought with cursing on the land spewing spew out of the land you will be just like them. I will look at you just like them, and I will have them take you over and kick you out of the land as you were kicking them out of the land. Yeah. right? And that was a judgment not just for God's people, but even the people that were in the land before them. Like, if you're unfaithful, if you choose not to figure out, if you have idolatry, get ready for the land to be corrupted. It's just yeah. what happens with idolatry, because God gives you the rulership of the God that you serve. And pagan gods are murderous. Pagan gods defile, destroy. They're not fruitful. You lose blessing when you serve false gods. And so I hear so much talk about the political outcomes of things without godly repentance. And this is why I really love Pastor Wilson, because he will go and just—he'll preach that and say, like, you don't get—you can— Call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, if you don't have godly repentance, you don't get a Christian anything right you don't get a Christian anything so if that's not at the tip of the spear of what it is that you want to be done, then you can just give it up now because you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna change the system and get godliness out of it you know um and 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 that's I don't hear that message. You know, and this is part of the judgment. Part of the judgment is that you'll have false prophets Mm -hmm. who do not speak for God, but they they will tell you all the things that you need to do to fix the problem, and they have nothing to do with repentance.
1: Yeah, they'll come with their bronze helmet with horns on it, and they'll say (laughs) you you are about to run through your enemies, and they charge around the throne room in front of you, telling you you're about to run through your enemies um, unscathed. And the and yeah, you guys but, like
0: don't go, don't, yeah, don't go. So then, how is, go ahead?
1: Well, and and this is why, you you see this when people say, well, look, we are a Christian nation, and then everybody starts debating. Well, was you know were all the founders Christian were the founding fathers Christians? Yeah. Were the politicians Christians? were, Well, what made us a Christian nation was that the pastors and the congregations were Christians. Mm. It's not a question of politics. It's not a question uh, it's it's not something that um that you say, well, um, did we vote to be a Christian nation or not? Right. And that's that's how you become a Christian nation, or of with a Christian prince at the top. And you know what um what made America a Christian nation was that everybody went to church and worshipped and repented and as, you know, and I know somebody's gonna say, "Well, every single person didn't." I don't care. That's not. How, um, it was you had the overwhelming majority of people uh, went to church. That um, that we are the. It's our worship that defines us, right? It's our faith um, that defines us. It's not. Uh, it's it's that that's it's not political policy that makes us Christian or not Christian, right? And um, and so you see all of the major social reform movements um, in the country, uh, they were only effective when the church got involved with them, when the church as an institution, the institutional church got involved with them um, because the institutional church refused to get involved with freeing the slaves. We had a civil war we did all sorts of other things without civil wars. We had all sorts of major changes without civil wars, but um, the, that's because the institutional church got involved. The institutional church wouldn't get involved in abolition. And that's why we had a civil war.
0: Uh, talk about that. Further. So how does it, how does immutability play into this conversation and what is it?
1: Yeah. So, So this chapter in Spencer's Images of Life um, on mutability, it's chapter five. It's this is one of the allegoric, like straight the whole thing is an allegory in the the small a sense. But throughout the book, you have these moments of big, like capital A allegory, where um, you take he takes concepts, philosophical concepts, and Puts them in and makes them a character, right? So, and that's what bit big A allegory. I don't know how to, you know, um, how else to define it. And and the section, um, where in uh Spencer it is called the camp, the, the cantos of mutability or the songs of mutability, and the cosmic principle of mutability is that things can change right things things can change so um one of the oldest f- philosophical debates is is unity or diversity more fundamental is everything one system or uh that is and so the the change is an illusion uh, because it's all like one unified system or is the uh is everything constantly changing um, and the unity is a, uh, an illusion. So you, um, you have that debate going on from as one of the first really philosophical debates that we have in writing um, is that debate. What's more fundamental, the, that thing that nothing stays the same or um, the unity of all things. And so mutability uh, is the, the cosmic principle of change that things mutate or are changing um and the the mutability is a titan is in in the allegory shows up as a titaness um you a, a god above the gods um and and so that's the 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 titans are all allegories of cosmic principles uh, and, and so mutability shows up and um and gets into a debate with nature, right? Nature is uh, another mm. tightness and shows up. And in fact, in, in uh, medieval, in, in high medieval writings, nature, um, the goddess nature is how they would hide God. Cause they were worried about making God, big G God, God, the father, a character in their story right because um they were worried to they it made them nervous to put words into god's mouth mm, and so what blasphemy? they would often yeah blaspheme <laughs> and, and um now it's interesting they were mu- they were less likely to blaspheme because they were concerned about it and they were trying really hard to not um but they what they would often do is they would so um the goddess nature would show up and through her mouth the words of god would come
0: So So, would would that be like the same thing as general revelation or uh, natural law, stuff like that? Yeah.
1: And so that, so that's what made them feel comfortable with that as that, well, that you could make nature a character in your story and she could speak God's words because she is, because nature is um, uh, one of the central ways that God communicates, but God communicates, um, it's not special revelation. It's a a revelation that we have to wrestle out of uh, nature with wisdom. Right. And so if nature comes and speaks, then we have the authority to try and get revelation from nature, Mm -hmm. but we have to wrestle it out. Right. So that was the, that was the prairie reasoning. Why, what they would put, they would make nature, the, the voice, Box the goddess nature would be the hidden voice box of God in uh, very often in high medieval literature in the allegories especially, um, and so, uh, but mutability basically shows up and argues that she is a tightness above nature, right, um, and and that uh, because nature is constantly changing, right, and so. She, the, uh, and, and her argument, she, she, for her argument, she, um, brings a, a pad, what's called a pageant or a parade across the, the eyes of the reader. So, um, she has the, the, um, basically an allegoric, an allegory, an allegory an allegorical pageant, an allegorical parade where all of the different things that change constantly in nature come by personified, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got the personification um, of, uh, uh, of spring and fall or spring and summer and fall and winter come by and the personification of, of time, the the personification of the seasons um, of day and night the personification of the different sections of hours. We don't divide it up anymore. Um, The, you know, the third hour, the sixth hour, that sort of thing. But, um, and then life and death are personified. Um, And so mutability is trying to prove her case that she is greater than nature. Right. Um, The problem is what you see is that you, you actually have unchanging cycles. (laughs) And so then the argument comes back. It's clever. It is very clever, and and so he's he is teaching uh, our imagination how to respond to different. uh, So he this is really an apologetic that he's developing here, but it's an allegorical apologetic. He's training our imagination how to answer questions, how to how to respond. Oh my Um, goodness! Right. So uh, (laughs) yeah, he's developing this apologetic. Um, that says, well, no, so death doesn't ever win. Even though death has been given a certain latitude of rule and reign in the present, death doesn't win because God has uh, taken into account the effects of death into nature's cycles, right, into the seasons. And so now even death, becomes a part of the, the victory of life in the cycles of nature, right? So the, um, the, um, in the opening of The Lord of the Rings um, is one of my favorite sections, or the opening of The Silmarillion, one of my favorite sections in all of Tolkien's writings, um, you have a giant angelic symphony and choir and um, and then you've got Melkor who keeps trying to go rogue, who he jumps up and he wants to sing his own, um, he wants to sing his own melody, and that's discordant with everything else. Uh, the problem is that uh, as the the director of the choir knew in advance what his melodies would be, and so he caused it to every time Melkor sang a discordant note it moved the chord um, into a new harmony, right? So he just gets more and more frustrated because his attempts to ruin the music all turn out to give the music its story, mm. right? And um, and that what, is- he's, What is that in? He, that's in the Silmarillion. It's the opening chapter of the Silmarillion. It's beautiful. Silmarillion. It's, uh, it's the prequel- to the Hobbit, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, it's it's all of the it's the 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 legends and myths of Middle Earth. Okay, um, so but and, and what is happening here is nature lets mutability make make her argument why she's a greater a greater tightness, um, and what you end up seeing is that all of the things, all of the aspects of change um, have been taken up into a unity, but it's not a static unity. It's a, it's a story. It's a unity of story. Um, right. So uh, the, the, um, so every witness that mutability brings through in the parade um, turns out to, uh. That her that the change um, is a cyclical change, so that the um, th- that the change is actually a part of a long story, and the story is what brings gives unity to all of the change. So it's not that there's so the argument doesn't become change. Uh, uh, there isn't mutability, which was the argument of the pagans about the oneness of all things. So you see this in still in Buddhism, um, in certain forms of, of Hinduism, um, Shintoism, you've got this argument that there's actually a unity of all things and that the change is an illusion. Um, The, but what you have is nature says the change isn't an illusion, right? The change is actually um, given unity by the direction of the spirit of God directing history. So the unity is a unity over time um, and a unity uh, of plot instead of a unity of uh, th- where the, the change is is illusory, right? Um, and so this is a very Trinitarian um, answer, right? So you say, well, is it unity or is it diversity? You say, well, those aren't enemies. Is it change or is it permanence change or is it ultimate unity, Um, Those aren't enemies. Uh, Is it, um, is it, you know, is it God's will or my will in salvation? Well, those aren't enemies. You don't, you you can God, God's will can change my will and they can exist side by side. They don't displace and dislodge one another. Um, And so change and permanence don't dislodge one another because of the unity of, uh, the unity of the story over time. So that's a different mm. sort of answer. So th- how this, how this ends up working out in something like uh, in apologetics, for example, um, is that this is actually how the problem of evil is solved. Scripturally speaking, right? There's a, there's a presuppositional dismantling of the problem of evil um, that, that uh, is, re- can be really helpful, right? if, um, if God exists and evil exists, then uh, and, and you think that God is that that a good God can't allow evil to exist, then um, God is gone. But then there's no longer any evil because evil requires a standard. And if you don't have an ultimate standard, then evil is an illusion. And now, if so, if evil's not real, then you can bring God back in because there's no evil. <laughs> right? Right. If So, you know, if, if an argument means that you can't, if an argument is self-defeating, the problem of evil is logically self-defeating, um, then we know that's, that it, it can't be a real, uh, a a real objection, but it doesn't make it, 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 that doesn't solve the existential difficulty of living in a world with evil. This does, right? This is, um. How do you what's the 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 existential difficulty of living in a world where death has some semblance of rain Um, now he's been dethroned uh, but the the working out of the rolling back and the final solution of um, Isaiah 55 tells us that that God's people will be sent over the mountains and and uh, across the hills with the word of God to roll back the curse of death everywhere they go, the, um, the curse on the world. Um, so the word of God goes out and it rolls back the curse and that, you know, that's all true, but death is the last enemy that's finally destroyed um, in the return of Christ and the resurrection. So in the meantime, we have to live with death. The existential difficulty of living with death though, um, th- there is a, we're given the solution. And this is the solution, right? the The solution um, is that that change and permanence, when carried up to the cosmic level,
0: I highlighted that are not
1: (laughs) really opposed, but involve one another. Yeah, I actually page seventy
0: six. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. I highlighted so so um, so this is the question I ask. So when somebody says, "Well, what about the problem of evil?" I say. Are you are you asking about the logic of the problem of evil, or how difficult it is to live in a world where there's evil? Mm. Right? That's the question I ask. What when you say the problem of evil, do you mean the that the it's a logical difficult for you difficulty for you, or you mean it's hard to live in a world where there's evil? Which and if they say, I would say ninety five percent of the time when uh, when I was doing evangelism on college campuses on co- on college campus ucsc they would say because that because that came up a lot well what about the problem of evil Doesn't had to be logic right exist? yeah
0: yeah it was logic I,
1: no it wasn't 95 percent of the time it was no i'm talking about how hard my life is that's the well, that's really the question this life is hard why would god put me through all this right now
0: that's just an angry question that's not dealing with the issue itself. That's just, it's I'm not mad at dealing God. with
1: the traditional problem of evil, but most people haven't don't logic their way through these things. Right. That's a gut level reaction. Cause what's the, cause what's the answer to, well, life is sometimes life is super hard and people have hurt me. Why would can, God put can, me through that? Can right? I
0: make the apology where I just smack yeah, him in the it. face and is like, stop, stop crying. You little baby. <laughs> Get on your you remember, knees before the Lord and just smack that, them out of it. Because if if that's the case, it's like you just soft.
1: <laughs> remember when I sent you that, H- that, new, H- that new HBO show about the uh, um, the black punk rock, the black teenage kid who's punk rocker and he's going go- going through all the existential angst. And I sent it to you, and I was like, "Hey, guess what's coming next? Black therapy." Uh, oh,
0: black- I think he did, some- yeah. <laughs>
1: It's like because right. that's what. Because existential angst is for middle class, yeah. People and that's rich right. People, that's right. right? That, 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 you don't. You don't have therapy in the ghettos.
0: N- they you know. They. He just needs to stand there and let all his answers smack <laughs> the heck out of him. Just what? <laughs> what, are, what are you talking right. about? Right. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> like, just stop it. What's wrong with you? But <laughs> life must be good.
1: Life. Life but, <laughs> must be pretty good if, if your <laughs> biggest problem is sometimes my relationships don't uh, work out the way I, I just want like. Them to. like
0: I mean, but that's why it had to be more of a logic issue, right? Like that's, I just knew that was going to be the case.
1: That's what we think. That's what we expect. But for most folks, that's not, you know, so, so Mike, so I always answer with a question said, if God promises that at the end of time, he'll put everything right, that the end of the story, everything will work out, everything will be put right, everything, would that do it for you? One time, I've had somebody say no, and when I asked why, they said, "Because I can't imagine the things that I've gone through being put right." Mm-hmm. So well, that's, a, I said, and that just told this guy all failures of faith. Faith begin as failures of the imagination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I said, "I I can help you expand your imagination if you want." Right. Because um, that's the the the, we have a superior story a superior eschaton because the other option and this is because the other option is is the universal cold death of all things. Right. That um, in demanding absolute mutability this is also page 76 Um. Right, her. She says, uh, uh, "Nature adds a warning for thy decay. Thou seekest by thy desire." It says, "In demanding absolute mutability, the Titaness seeks her own decay, her own destruction. Since the ascent to that demand must end the permanence of nature. Nature, if nature stops, uh, if if nature stops her cycles, then." You actually have the destruction of nature. You end up with the cold death of all things, which is the promise of the current physics. Um, Eventually, everything stops moving and and becomes so cold that everything is just dead rocks floating.
0: All right, hold on. Let me let me get this. In demanding absolute mutability, the Titaness seeks her own decay, since the ascent to that demand must in the permanence of nature how
1: so nature the reason
0: nature keeps recycling itself nature
1: keeps recycling itself yeah so because of that the cycles of nature um which is also the argument for mutability um you have change and so mutability exists inside because of the cycles of nature to say we're going to get rid of the cycles of nature we're going to end it all doesn't mean mutability one. It means there's no more change.
0: It means there's no more mutability, right? There's
1: no more mutability, right?
0: So wow, absolute,
1: so- absolute mut- mutability is actually the destruction of mutability.
0: So then, what would absolute mutability look like?
1: The, um, what the the argument that Spencer is making is that you can't imagine absolute mutability. <laughs> okay. All right. right. Because every version of absolute mutability is actually the complete destruction of Of the reality of, yeah, of reality. And so you end up with nothing or with the, you, you know, like this is, this is where the current physics projects out into the world that eventually all the stars burn out. Also, oh, uh, climate change Everything movement. gets so it's the climate change movement, and so everything gets oh. so cold that um, that life no longer can exist, and so there's no longer any cycles in nature because it's just a complete so the cycle, so entropy so is what it's called entropy. Yeah.
0: So the very cycles of nature themselves allows for change. Yeah, and that's that's what and. Uh, why is it that the Titanist can't see that?
1: So, um, yeah. So the, ver- the this is why I'm, on page seventy four. Um, that that uh, C.S. Lewis writes in certain respects, she may be compared to the principle known to our own science as entropy.
0: Yeah, I saw that. That's so, why you said yeah. it resonated. Yeah. So she
1: um, she can't see it because she is, uh, <clears throat> and this is this is why she ends up traveling up through. Um, first, she travels up through the cosmos, um, and then uh, the and then she comes back down. Right, so she travels up through, and she uh, talks to you know goes to Venus, and then she goes to Mars, and then she goes to Jupiter, and she's working through. Um, at, at, and each of them brings what th- its own cosmic principle. So Venus, the principle of uh, says, look, Venus is the. Uh, is the the principle of love which brings new you know creatures into the world right. uh, Mars is the principle of war which brings new authority structures into the world. Um, Jupiter is the uh, the principle of spring, the principle of resurrection um, the principle of of uh the the life force. I mean I think we we don't have a necessarily a word anymore in English for what Jupiter brings, but the, the, the pressing forward of life um, through the cycles of resurrection, these sorts of things. um, So she says, each of these requires change. Uh, So she's keeps pushing up through Mm. uh, each of each of them um, saying, see the change, see the change, see the change. Um, But they're all changing cycles. Then she comes back down um, and there's a whole nother, um, side there's a so there's cosmic so she she makes her argument based on um, cosmic uh, the cosmic principle of change but then um, w- then she gets down then the next part of the story is kind of the is this little comedy um, about the um, kind of the foibles of the actual of the actual, you know, it's one thing to talk about the uh, Venus and what what the it's we the word venereal unfortunately has kind of been ruined, mm-hmm. um, but Venus is that's what you used to call Venus's um, influence. Venus brings about uh, the the love between. Uh, animals and and people that that causes them to uh you know bring the next generation into the world right so it's one thing to talk about that as a big cosmic concept and that's that but then it pops down to um you know a, a couple of badgers you know you know, the, the that at that level down to like but what does this look like in just like day-to-day life like you know in the, the spring comes And the badgers want to make babies. (laughs) Like, that's what we're talking about. That, that there's, that there's a cosmic, there's a cosmic level of, of this defeat of, uh, the, that mutability becoming a, uh, mutability being brought in by death, but then mutability becoming the means by which death is defeated, right? Every badger Mm. is going to die, but. New, ba- new baby badgers keep being born right so there's the cosmic level and then down to the 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 you know kind of the 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 silly little level at the bottom where it's like oh yeah you know mice pups um a bunch of pink mice pups are born every spring um and they're cute and they're silly and they yeah you know, that 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 level as well we see the same principle at work so both at the cosmic level where the the every year the um, the sun runs its course, uh, it moves its way across the horizon and moves its way back. The every year the the different the the different the zodiac um, runs its course. the The stars run their course. Uh, you know, every time and harvest, yeah, springtime and harvest, and you um, you've got the snow and the you know, you've got the cosmic level. All the way down to every time puppies are born, it's it's again um, the defeat of death. Death didn't win again. Look at the puppies. You know um, the butterflies c- crawl into their a uh, crawl out of their chrysalis, and uh, um, nature says one more time, take that death. Right. So it it's and that's all held together because. It's a story leading to the ultimate resurrection at the end. But that resurrection keeps sneaking in. It, the, the resurrection of Christ al- keeps allegorically sneaking into the present because and upsetting and ruining death's reign.
0: So then mutability is moving in a particular direction. It's not actually spinning its wheels to nothing. It's right. actually going somewhere consistently is that right
1: yeah exactly cuz otherwise um, and that's that's nature's argument nature's argument is that the mute that what that mute if mutability is the prin- is the cosmic principle things change then even mutability will be destroyed by mutability mm-hmm. but if there's actually a cosmic principle in which death is being undone by a guiding the guiding hand um by the the winds of the spirit blowing in the, um in in the uh uh blowing the the ship of history forward then the mutability um actually wor- is working towards something
0: so so why is this argument being made here especially after you know, Lewis is doing this. He's following the sequence, but he's following Spencer's sequence. So we just got in talking about evil. You know, we just got in talking about, you know, um, well, this
1: is this is in the same
0: anti false uh, stupid. You know, yeah, this is this is this is.
1: Uh, so, we, um, the Fairy Queen is basically one giant. It, it's it's one big allegory about christ in the church and christ in the soul of each individual uh it's also an arthurian tale um the but then you also have it's also an argument um it's a it's it's sort of a a a a resistance of the enlightenment Mm -hmm. right so it's it's an attempt to resist the um the, and the enlightenment is, um, is the, the debate about unity and diversity was one in the middle ages, right? The medieval philosophers basically said, well, the, it's the, the Lord's hand, uh, if God is one in three, the Lord's hand, um, can, uh, can hold the, 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 the nature of reality, right. The, the, the ground of reality is God, right. Mm-hmm. Reality rests upon God. Um, and the problem of unity and diversity is actually. Um, solved there. It's solved beyond us. We, you know, but we like, we can't get the Trinity into our head um, without bursting our head but if we could get God into our head, then it's a God that came out of our head in the first place. Right. So, um, but the ground of reality is the triune God who is one and three in a mysterious way. And so the unity and diversity is actually solved by his being, being the, him being the creator solves the problem of unity and diversity. Um, so, but, but the argument is coming back up again in the enlightenment um, or comes back up again in the Enlightenment, and this is a um, poetical argument for the old cosmos, po- a, a poetical um, apologetic for the old cosmos, where this wasn't a problem because the assumption was God is guiding and directing. That the, that the resurrection of Jesus um, can be seen and found everywhere. Um, That the resurrection of the allegorically resurrection is one of the central principles of nature Um, Mm -hmm. because God is a is a resurrecting God Um, that 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 within the triune nature of God, you've got some sort of resurrection power Um, that that the that God from all eternity has been humbling and lifting up. The, the persons of the Trinity have been humbling themselves and lifting one another up from all eternity. So um, that, and that, and that, you know, Colossians one, 15 through 20 tells us the reason God created all of this is so that Jesus could be humbled and lifted up, right? That Jesus could humble himself and be lifted up, right? This is all for the glory of Christ, That God, the father created all this, in order to glorify his sons, Philippians two as well, right? That you need that that that's the that's why this place exists, and so you, we should expect to discover that it's embedded into the nature of things. I mean the the only apologetic oh, the only apologetic argument in the New Testament is when Paul says look at the look at seats if you're if it's going to live it has to die hmm that's really the only what we would call apologetic argument most of what he does is just straight declaration mm. and, ar- and then arguing within God's people Ecclesiastes is, a, is an apologetic set you, to, you know, to pagans but
0: Ephesians and Galatians
1: ecclesiastes wait what
0: i I said ephesians and galatians they wouldn't even consider those apologetics
1: they're not apologetics they're they're arguing he he is trying to get god's people back on track right he's Hmm. not arguing with pagans at all right um he's you know he's saying to god's people come back here ignore them you ignore them over there
0: what about to the unknown god that wouldn't be an apologetic
1: oh yeah in the book of acts that he so you have the recording of a lot of apologetic of a lot of apologetic work in the book of acts yeah so i guess luke is writing that apologetic
0: yeah yeah luke Uh the gospel luke even
1: i well i think all of the gospels are gospels right there they are written for the declaration of jesus so They're apologists in the sense of leave, I guess, in the broad sense, leave behind your idols and follow Jesus. They're an apologetic. Yeah.
0: I was just thinking about, because if you got to take Acts, then you have to take Luke too.
1: Yeah. Well, Luke, I do think Luke is written um, by a, uh, a Jew, so it's still got a Jewish flavor, but it's for... Um, a an increasingly Gentile um interaction, yeah. I believe John was written um to help the church make the transition through the destruction of the temple. Mm. Um, here the temple's going away, but it's not really because Jesus is has been the temple all along, yeah. Um, and so he goes through all the furniture of the temple and shows how it points to Christ, he goes through the um, the the sections of the temple and the movements of the priests in the temple and shows that Jesus had did those in his ministry and uh, you know, all of that. So he, uh, the, that the John was written because the temple is about to be destroyed and he wants the church to still understand um, what, or is a large argument for why the temple isn't necessary for Christians? Um, and that you have the temple, even if the temple's destroyed. I think Matthew was written pretty much immediately after the resurrection mm-hmm. as a way for the, to put down the story um, and shows that Jesus as the uh, uh, recapitulator of the history of Israel. And he, he is the new Adam, the history he redoes Israel's history and he does it right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. They're they're apologetics, but not the way we think of them. Mm-hmm. Of apologetics. All right. What's next? The image of good, chapter six. The image of good, and it's a it's a long one. That might take a couple of.
0: Should we? All right. So we'll just do like the first couple. It is a long yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah. Man, you know it's funny as as I was reading through mutability. Do you think it helps to actually? I don't um, to read Spencer with this, or is he the? Because some I, of this, I don't think I would have. You know, I'm. I haven't read all of Spencer. I read some of it, um, but I don't think I would have gotten this from reading Spencer.
1: Well, that's why. So this book is all of the places that moderns have a hard time understanding Spencer. So he's literally picking the hardest spots in Spencer for us. Wouldn't have been the hardest spots for medievals, late medievals um, because allegory wasn't like we, we don't have allegories anymore. Like we don't write allegories anymore. We um, we don't respect allegories anymore. Um, allegories oh. were considered adult fair because they engaged the whole person.
0: Is this what I is this what I've been picking up on when I say that when we exegete right now we our scriptures we don't have a, um, a typology with it, and it's because yeah. we don't work through allegories in the same way. So then, would this give problems to the way that we read scripture even?
1: I, I mean, I think so. We tend, you're going to allegorize. We just do it poorly. So we do it. We allegorize every character into a moral question. David is, um, you know, David is fighting Goliath. What are the giants in your life, right? So we allegorize as a way of moralizing the passages in the, in but it's because allegory is inescapable. Mm. It, a- allegory is, is completely inescapable because of the nature of the reality that God created. Allegory is inescapable. So you either do it on purpose and do it well, or you quote unquote reject allegory and do it poorly. <laughs> and I think that's what we've done in the modern world.
0: Which is what we tend to love about a lot of a lot of our favorite grammatical, historical, exegetical pastors is that there is no allegory there, yep. or it's just straight like, you know, it's dissecting without knowing what kind of creature that thing is and how it breathes and how it walks. And with allegory, you get to understand the nature of the, of the reality of it. So then what would be the alternative?
1: So I, I think, so what we think of, what we call typological, um, and they they didn't separate out typology and allegory the way we do. They they, um, the so a lot of the allegoricalists, um, were actually just they just really knew their Bibles a lot better than we do, um, and so they could see the connections internally. So typology is the internal connections, um, within a text. Allegory is the way that we. Connect a text to the, the uh, to the world to the uh, the world outside the text. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because so I'm thinking typology
1: yeah, is internal allegory. What what? So when, so you've got something like thorns and thistles as um, when you're writing, you call this charging an object, where you you imbue an object with meaning. Through the use of it in the story
0: And then you put those thorns and thistles on the head of Christ
1: Exactly and you say Look at the you've got this building image Thorns and thistles are all Throughout the Old Testament and you've got This really built Well built image and so then When you when God needs To show us that Christ is taking The curses onto himself All he has to do is put a crown of thorns and thistles On Christ's head He's wearing literally wearing The curse now um because he's wearing curse you know um in reality also,
0: he, he, head crushing with women is all throughout the yep oh
1: yeah. i mean he, head crushing um he he does something similar with uh you know um with uh uh he well just i mean head crushing in general but then women crushing heads stones um stumbling stones uh f- all different mm. kinds of, with light and darkness um one of the ones that animals doves you know yeah doves and connect connect uh, he connects doves fundamentally uh you typologically but- with uh um with di- with um having you know uh oh man what what's the with leprosy right mm. so you've got like so you don't have to go and say, hey, the temple has leprosy, right? You can say, and then he chased the dove sellers out. And you mm. go, oh, doves. If they need doves, then that's there's because lep- of leprosy, right? Because leprosy is how you get rid of doves. Doves is how you um, cleanse yourself, cleanse your house from leprosy. Right? So uh, there's all sorts of inner intertextual um, connections, and that's called typology or this is how we divide it out we call that typology the way you make extra textual connections is allegory right? mm. and it, it's it's and it's just it's just reality that's how you do it so you're either going to do it well because you're aware that you're doing it and you're doing it purposefully or you're going to do it poorly because you're not aware um, mm. and so but it's going to happen right? there's no way to make it extra textual connections um, without allegorizing. And so there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. There's a biblical way to do it and and an unbiblical way to do it.
0: So uh, ignorant people who don't know the scriptures are going to make some really bad allegories.
1: Right. Because we are a living allegory already. Right. So (laughs) if we're, if you're not paying attention and learning the way allegories work and function, then yeah, you're going to make some really bad ones. And I've, you know, I've seen that a bunch of times, you know, you see it all the time. Um, You know, uh, when it's like, Oh, here, you know, here's Jesus is flipping over tables in the temple. What tables do you need to flip over in your life? Right. That's a bad allegory. The question is what tables should Jesus be flipping over? Right your cat because an allegory is the way you identify with the character or you identify the which character is which in extra textually outside the Bible with the characters inside the Bible. So you, you should be watching you know in that um instance the Jesus is flipping tables over the question is which tables in your life would Jesus flip over not which tables? should you be flipping over? Because you're you should be identifying with mm. the sinners in the passage. <laughs> mm. Right? Jesus is he, Jesus is constantly cleansing our lives. Right. Or um I think maybe even a better one now that I think about it is what tables in your church? What tables in our church? know yeah, this is how the pastors should preach it. Which tables in our church would Jesus be flipping over if he mm-hmm. showed up? Are there tables Jesus would be flipping over? Because we should hurry up and get in you know get rid of that or right?
0: w- yeah because we uh, um or would it be yeah okay i'm just saying like if you're pointing to like there's table that's flipped over had was doves and that's what he's cleansing out then it's like we have leprosy here
1: yep where's, yeah, the, leprosy?
0: where's the leprosy right
1: how do we cleanse it
0: yeah if this is a house of prayer yeah uh, yeah okay i got it so then mm, there's a whole there's a whole host of things that that changes so then we get similes wrong too then
1: similes and metaphors and yeah the whole the whole business which because that's always the question what is what um you know if i mm. if i um you know the if if i'm praying through a passage for example praying through a psalm I'm praying through to hope to, and try, and I'm going to identify with one of the characters, right? There are times when you read through and you think, oh my gosh, I am the one with the swords coming out of my, my tongue is a sword. I've the way I've been speaking with my kids, right? I'm the bad guy in this Psalm. Uh, you, you know, You and that it, beca- and that comes as conviction. There's other times you, you might pray through that same psalm at a different point in your life and say, oh, you know what? These people that I'm trying to please, that God is telling me it's okay to see that they're enemies, right? That their tongue is a sword that's trying to come after me. Um, and sometimes, you you know, you pray through psalm and it just doesn't resonate. And you're like, ah, I don't know which character. This one isn't applying to me right now. And you move on to the next one and then it does hit you, Right um but it's that identification with a character um that we're being called to do and the and um <clears throat> you know you read an older medieval um the medieval uh, person training preachers and uh they'll tr- they'll say you know um okay you're preaching through uh, uh, imagine the scene, which character are you in the scene as you pray this through this passage that you're prepping to preach? Um, Are you one of the apostles? Are you, are you one of the disciples? Are you one of the people on the shore? Are you the person that needs to be healed? Um, Are you the, uh, you know, which, which person are you? Are you watching? You know, let's, you know, are you one of the disciples that has a friend, who is tearing the roof off in order to lower a friend down are you the friend that needs to be lowered down um are you one of the people inside and you're watching that you know and and saying oh my gosh these people are trying to get to Jesus and you're judging them because of how how passionate they are about Christ which character are you in this right as you pray through the text prepping to preach it right um that's something that i just i just think we're just not in the habit of doing anymore. We don't do that, <laughs> but it's, a, it's just a discipline that we've lost. Um, and so,
0: well, it's funny. I think now where we go, we go to movies to get our allegories. So yeah, we're go-
1: Yeah. We're going to have them. We're going to have
0: s- common we, stories. Yeah. Yeah. Us. Yeah. And our movies are then reflections of whatever our theology of the, of the day is. And so we get our virtue from those areas, which is why we need more good Christian fiction, but we're not gonna get that until we have men who are saturated in scripture and, and can bleed it all over fiction pages, you know? Yeah. Um anyway, that's good stuff. All right. So next week we'll work through the first part of Image of Good. Right? Yeah, I say that right. That, image no, what's of good. Yeah, image of good. All right, cool.